Hi, this is Mel Fulton, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Literati Glitterati. Championing stylish wordsmiths and sterling conversation, it's a weekly book show that loves a good story well told. Literati Glitterati is broadcast live on Triple R each Wednesday from midday till 1pm. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. You're on Triple R on Literati Glitterati with Jess filling in for Mel. Last week I spoke with poet and editor Panda Wong about the 2023 edition of Best of Australian Poetry. Best of Australian Poems is an annual anthology collecting previously published and unpublished poems to create a poetic snapshot and barometer of the year that was. Capturing the richness and diversity of Australian poetry across a time frame of July 2022 to August 2023, the series, now in its third year, explores how poetic responses to the contemporary moment develop with each passing year. Highly respected poets and editors Gig Ryan and Panda Wong were the editors of the collection this year. Gig Ryan is one of the country's most highly recognised and read poets with major awards for her poetry over decades and a prominent publication profile both here and overseas. Panda Wong is on the vanguard of Australian literature as a poet, editor and performer whose work spans the page, stage and digital space. I really enjoyed speaking to Panda last week about this collection, so here is the conversation and I hope you enjoy. In the collection's preface, you and your co-editor, Gig Ryan, write that best is a strange and loaded term, but in editing Best of Australian Poems 2023, best was interpreted as being the best representation of what is happening in Australian poetry at this specific moment in time. What poets were feeling, thinking and imagining across many different forms, mediums and lexicons. Best of Australian Poems 2023 will be a space of discovery where readers can encounter new poets. So maybe you can start us off by talking a bit about the thesis and vision for this collection. Yeah, thank you. So I guess with the Best of Australian Poems, there's been two other iterations before and the intention has always been to provide a snapshot of um what's happened poetically in the year. Best is a weird word because in the editorial, I didn't want it to be like, it's what we think is best in... I don't want to be a gatekeeper in that sense, even though obviously editing is is a gatekeeping activity. So I kind of wanted to push back against the impressions that best might give and kind of think about it as what is the best way to see what is happening across Australia poetically? Because I think that what is happening in... Australia poetically is so rich and varied and reading for this collection I was made um, even more glaringly aware of how much I don't know and I'm you know someone who reads poetry regularly and tries to engage with it so the reading process also kind of drove in that it was really important to kind of try to deviate from maybe unconscious bias and and who I already know and um, try to read outside of that so yeah, I guess in a convoluted way, it was just the best way to represent what was happening in the year um, poetically, which is also, you know, poetry is, poetry offers insight into life and events and culture. So it's mm. just a good reflection in general of the world. Mm. I know that there's no particular theme for an anthology like this, but mm-hmm. did you notice particular points of interest or themes or topics that sort of stood out to you, like coming through the submission the submissions that you received? That's a good question. I mean, even in this collection, we actually, I think, have 
two dog poems. And actually, I do remember reading and I don't know if this is a trend-based thing because <laughs> I haven't read for previous ones, obviously, but we did actually have quite a few dog poems, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is, you know, quite sweet and quite funny. Mm-hmm. Um, we also, I mean, I think we published a couple of collaborative poems as well. I think th- I can think of three off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I think making in general and writing is looking to more collaborative ways of writing. And I think mm-hmm. that's reflected in the submissions and the collection itself. Yeah, I guess you as a poet have like a kind of interest in digital poetry yeah. and other experimental sort of forms yeah. and modes of poetry. Yeah, and in this collection, there are a number of sort of digital online poems and there are even QR codes that you can scan to sort of engage with that online. How mm-hmm. did that sort of work when you were working with those poets for this collection? So as part of the editorial process, I'll, I'll just clarify this just in case, mm-hmm. um, people listening aren't aware there is a call out but there we also read basically as much Mm. um of the poetry that's been published in the eligible time period so we do an element there's like an element of selection as well from what we've read going into this I I did actually I did distinctly want to look and read as much digital poetry as possible Mm. and publish what I thought was um you know really representative of that because I think that in Australian poetry and maybe just globally because of what's happened with um, lockdown and COVID and stuff, there's been a real boost in digital work. Mm -hmm. And I was also conscious that submission wise, people might not submit digital poetry because I think the submission portal, it, you submit a PDF or a word doc. So Mm -hmm. I was conscious that I really wanted to um, include digital poetry because it is part of my practice, but I also think generally it's grown so much in popularity mm-hmm. and it's so interesting what you can do with it. And yeah, and I also find that with digital poetry, the reading of it is so different because it's so interactive by nature. There's also been like digital poetry in Australia for a long time. Even if a poem isn't necessarily digital, it usually references the internet in some way. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like Alex Kreese's poem, for example, is not mm. technically a digital poem, but there's a lot of references to the internet or internet culture. And as the same could be said of a lot of poems. So, I mean, I think the internet's probably a theme that comes through just because Definitely, the internet yeah. is kind of our lives now. Mm-hmm. Just touching on the QR codes, mm. I went to see this amazing talk by Mindy Sue, who is a digital archivist who worked on this book called Cyber Feminism Index Mm. and this talk was amazing because she was showing us the book and it's like a catalogue of um, cyber feminist works but as she was showing us there was AR um, embedded into the book so you could see the pieces as they as she presented it and I thought that the QR codes were important because I was also really drawn to the idea of people um being able to experience pieces exactly as they were meant to be Mm -hmm. and also this book kind of living outside of the printed object and online. Mm. Um, Yeah, we'll see how that works because over time, you know, digital stuff isn't necessarily the most permanent. But, yeah, I think think it's the first year that they've used QR codes for this. Yeah, I was going to ask you if this is the first year that sort of digital poems have been... I think they have been digital. I think before they might have used links, but mm-hmm. just as like someone who uses the internet all the time, it's QR codes are definitely easier. And I just do also think on like a 
life level QR codes have become a much bigger part of our lives so it feels Mm. fitting that there's like QR codes in here absolutely yeah can you speak a bit more about that sort of dual process of selecting poems through this submission process versus actively seeking out yeah, work from the, the previous year and approaching poets. Yeah, so Gig and I, um, I guess Gig and I had to essentially read as much as we could during that time period. And it was books that had been published, journals, you know, digital works. There were, There's like a performance in here as well, I think, that's been transcribed. Mm. Definitely a huge task. There mm. is no way possible that we could have read everything that was published in that period of time but we definitely tried to read as much as we could I think I received about like 50 books in the mail and I was definitely reading in some of the most I imagine gig was as well I was reading at like the laundromat like (laughs) just like if I was like doing stuff and I had like five minutes I would just be like in the google drive reading um but yeah we wanted to Because I think depending just on submission is so nebulous. Mm -hmm. There's many reasons as to why people don't submit and think the submission period was a month. People are busy. They might not know about it. We can't always assume that our reach is like, will reach everyone who writes poetry. So I think being able to read what has been published in the last year Mm -hmm. is super important because I think the overall aim is just to make sure that we are reading as much as physically possible and to kind of counteract that natural failure (laughs) that we'll have to read everything that was published and it is like a particular I don't know it feels different to just submitting to a journal or a magazine it's like it has kind of daunting title doesn't it like best of Australian poems a lot of poets might feel sort of daunted by that prospect or a bit uncomfortable about that not wanting to put forward their own work as being considered the best or something so that kind of makes sense to also yet be reading outside of that submission process and be like I love this work and this didn't come through, but I really want it to be part of. Yeah, that's such a wonderful point. Mm. Um, Yeah, I guess it's also a way to just be a little bit more equitable about the process. Mm. So we did have an immense amount of poems submitted, I think maybe like 2,000. Wow. Um, But yeah, it, it helps you position things that you're reading as well and what is going on and like picking up on the themes like I said digital poetry dog poetry you know (laughs) in addition to the usual poems about death life yes Um, yeah in the process of the book it was very useful but on a personal level also extremely useful to be able to just read so much and gain like a much more broader understanding of the Australian poetry landscape yeah definitely what what sort of conversations were you and Gig having about what sort of work you were interested in or drawn towards at that time or what you were sort of looking for when you were reading, if anything? Yeah, I mean, we definitely discussed poems. It definitely feels like a very intuitive process um, in the sense that we weren't like we're looking for poems to tick these boxes. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you can't predict what people are going to submit as well. I guess when looking at our selections, you get a sense for what is missing and, you know, obviously you don't arrive at the selection Immediately, there's like a number of poems that could be selected. And Mm -hmm. that's why I guess we wanted to make it so clear in the editorial that it's like roughly 100 poems in there. That is like Mm -hmm. not very much space. And we can't always publish everything that we want to publish. Mm -hmm. But it's still such an amazing snapshot. 100 poems is still a lot of work. And I think the like diversity and like eclectic 
things that you've chosen are Thank a really you. good representation of that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I guess we just talked about approaching it as, as like, cause it is a collection. So you have to think about it as a collection and how it feels cohesively and mm-hmm. what it would feel like to read it. And um, I guess anyone participating in a curatorial process like that is always thinking about the reader as well. I also do remember thinking going through it and being like, I would want this to be a document that you could give someone who doesn't necessarily know about Australian poetry and kind of wants to get a feel for it. And I do think that we did manage to achieve that with what we picked. Um, And, you know, there's like a real mix of like established, emerging, like like aside from genres and things like that. Yeah, I was going to ask you what that balance looks like, sort of honouring and continuing interest in more established mid-career poets Mm. first making way for new voices yeah I mean that also felt pretty organic um so with the co-editorship model Gig Ryan is a very established poet Gig has been writing poetry for a long time Gig used to be the poetry editor for the age for about 10 years Mm. um I haven't been writing poetry for nearly as long the editorship model is essentially so that it's to kind of try balance out the gaps in each other's approaches or perspectives. And it was really great, actually, because I really learned a lot about working with someone in that way. And I really appreciated Gig's selections as well, because mm-hmm. it's really a gift to be shown the gaps in your bias, especially when it comes to work like this. Mm-hmm. Um, And I definitely discovered a lot of poetry through the co-editorship model. And I think it's really important to be able to be, to have someone who can kind of challenge you on your choices and Mm -hmm. to also have someone to be able to show you things that you may have missed. So I think it felt organic because we were able to kind of select things in tandem that maybe the other person might not have immediately Mm -hmm. been drawn to. You know, like when you talk to a friend about like a movie you've seen or a book you've read and they can have like a a really wonderful take on it that just kind of changes your relationship to it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, that co-editorship model had a really big part to play, I think, in kind of ironing out those biases. I definitely want to acknowledge that the 2021 and the 2022 anthologies, those approaches really shaped me and Gig's approach. So I think 2021 was Ellen Van Nieuwen and Toby Fitch, who Mm -hmm. are both you know, amazing poets as well. And then 2022, which I was actually published in. So Mm. um, that was Janine Lean and Judith Beveridge. Um, Yeah. And, you know, all such amazing poets, they've all contributed very unique and specific things to the Australian poetry landscape. It's interesting what flavors, I guess, come to the collection Mm -hmm. through each partnership and it's maybe hard to put a finger on exactly what those are also Mm. because I think you know not only do the editors shape that it's also like what's happening that year because poetry is so responsive I think we retained some similar approaches like the order of the poems we place them by title and alphabetical order Mm. and that's continuing a tradition of prioritizing the poem itself Mm -hmm. rather than you know um poets names or things like that Mm -hmm. it's really funny how like using that it actually just works really well in order like it just seemed that like long poems would land next to short ones or like different cadences would be sitting next to each other because obviously when you're curating you want people to have time to like breathe or just like feel the ups and downs of it instead of it being one note Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I love the way I thought that that struck me as well. Like the way that it opened felt so like slow and had such a nice rise to it. And then at the end, is it a poem between a poet and their child? Like the child sort of yes, yeah. was giving them some prompts and like there's some drawings included as well. And just like such a sweet way to end that collection. I was like that. Just, you know, that that happened to be the last thing in there. Yeah. But it felt, like, just so perfect. So serendipitous. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, like, yeah, I'm very fond. <laughs> I'm very fond of the way this book ends. And that also matters as a feeling for something that says, you know, best of Australian poems. Mm, like, definitely. trying to kind of deviating away from, in as many ways as possible, like, ideas of hierarchy. I guess, you know, poetry can be anything. That's why it's so hard to talk about sometimes. Mm-hmm. But... I really do think poetry is for everyone. And mm-hmm. I, yeah, I imagine that something, something like Best of Australian Poems is something that maybe someone would go to if they weren't necessarily a regular poetry mm. reader, just because, and you want it to feel inviting, but not at the risk of, I guess, patronizing your audience. Totally. Like, yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah. You have, do you have your own, I'm just interested if you have your own like rough definition of what poetry is for you? Oh, it's such a hard question, especially because I think, yeah, I think for me, I'm such a, um, I use a lot of found poetry in my work as well. Mm. So I am a little bit like poetry can kind of be anything, Mm -hmm. which is such a, maybe that's a cop out answer. (laughs) No, but it feels like an honest answer as well. Yeah. Yeah, And it's also like, you know, I have moved away from referring to poems as, well, I'm trying to as good and bad because mm-hmm. it feels like a binary that I'm inflicting on poetry. Mm. I guess a poem to me is something that is a poem in the sense that it makes you think about language in a new way. It uses language in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, I've often referred to poetry as like a distillation of feeling or experience that maybe you can't get in other ways. Mm-hmm. As a human, I sometimes think that most humans know something poetic when they see it. Like I think yeah, the beautiful. descriptor, not that everything poetic is a poem, but I think there's like an intuitive element of ourselves that kind of knows what a poem is. I hope that through the approach to this, um, I hope that everyone who reads it will discover at least like one poet that they don't know. Yeah, definitely. Maybe a good question to end on. When you imagine writers and readers like picking up this anthology in, in 40 years time, what do you think people might imagine poetry to have looked like in 2023 that's a good question it's really such and like I guess eclectic is the best word Mm -hmm. this might come off as a bit bimbo moment but I was like wow (laughs) people are like thinking about so much (laughs) um it's almost a bit universe brain you know yes Um, yeah there's a specificity to all of the poems that feel so of this time like I think about the way that people use language in this and it's so specific and weird and everyone just has such distinct voices mm-hmm. and different voices so I think I think hopefully that when they read it they'll be like wow there were a lot of different types of poems and a lot of different people writing poetry which is really how it should be mm-hmm. I think there is a lot of poetry of resistance as well mm-hmm. in here um, I think that is just the nature of writing poetry in a colonial project like Australia mm. um, and there's a lot of poems that are in conversation with each other. I guess one yes. that comes to mind is Alison J. Barton's poem, inspired by an essay written by Janine Lean, who is also in the anthology. Mm. And I am proud of how the collection, I guess, speaks to 
itself within the collection. I feel mm. like people reading it in the future will be able to sense those connections Definitely. through like the collaborative poetry or or things where like poems make direct references or even the themes like you know there's like two doggy poems in here mm-hmm. lots of like just general animal animal poems, aren't yeah there? and yeah. I think you know I think that actually if I had to have a theory for why that is I think mm. you know we're in a time of um, distinct climate grief I do think there is actually a lot of eco poetry in here that mm. might not necessarily present as what I don't know, the average person thinks eco-poetry is. I actually think eco-poetry is some of the most badass poetry out there, but people seem to think of it as a bit dusty. (laughs) I think that will have changed a lot in 40 years, though. 100%. Yeah, I think maybe people are reading this in 40 years. They'll be like, they have very broad and expansive ideas of what poetry is. I think there's a lot of... There's so much experimentation here. I couldn't possibly... Something for everyone. (laughs) Yeah, literally something for everyone. (laughs) You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favorite podcast platform. Big thanks again to Panda Wong for chatting to me about that anthology. Best of Australian Poems is out now in bookstores. Go pick up a copy. Triple R is, of course, partial to local and independent bookstores. And the collection is launching at the Wheeler Centre on Thursday, February 22nd, 6.30 to 7.30pm. There'll be a bunch of local and interstate readings. You can pick up a copy of the book there. It's free to attend. Just head to wheelercentre.com. Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. Google is our friend, our guide, and our priest. With 8.5 billion Google searches every day, 99,000 happening right this second, we are a symphony of the stressed and self-pitying, constantly asking for validation and reassurance. Search Histories is a collection of short, short prose about what people Google in a specific time of their lives, however significant or mundane. This book is a look at our fears, existential wonders, suffering, and inconsequential streams of consciousness. The collection of vignettes shows just how boring but funny the monotony of everyday life is through characters dealing with identity struggle, loneliness, burnout, financial stress, strained relationships, spiraling worry, sadness, and desperation. And the author of this collection is Caitlin Faruja. Caitlin is a dark comedy writer and school teacher for education reform. Fascinated by people's choices, behaviours and lack of self-awareness, as well as intergenerational everything and absurdism. Her work is always about people and their everyday experiences that are often mundane but relatable. Mostly everything is funny, mostly everything is sad. Search Histories is her debut collection out through Vagabond Press. Hi, Caitlin. Welcome to Triple R. Congratulations. Oh, hi, Jess. Thanks for having me. Of course. What a pleasure. So Search Histories, <laughs> your debut book. So exciting. It's super oh my original, very funny collection. Do you want to tell us about this work in your own words? I, I mean, you just told it um, <laughs> in my own words. You summed it up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah that's right. Um, yes, it's just that it's um, a collection with over, I think I wrote about like a hundred or so um, different people and just stuff they're going through um, and told through their Google searches. Yeah. Amazing. Do you want to um, talk about where the idea came from and how did this project start? 
Yeah, sure. So it was lots of different things kind of coming together, but when I before I went to write it, I found on my a screenshot I had taken on my first ever iPhone, so a long, long, long time ago, mm. and um, it was actually it was a screenshot of all these searches I had done for this character I was writing about who um, thought they'd been abducted by aliens. <laughs> and <laughs> when when I stumbled across it about a year or so ago, I was like, oh, that's actually really cool this like mm. search history is actually like a portrait of this person um but told through the format of very much who we are in the digital age mm. and um I really liked that because I wanted to write about everyday people and how hard it is to be a human but mm. you know so much of who we are as modern humans is linked with like digital stuff totally. so yeah, yeah, so that's part of the reason, um, yeah, part of the idea behind it, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I found while reading these vignettes, they could almost be divided into like a handful of key characters. Did you think of the collection in this way, or are these characters sort of nobody and everybody, like a ubiquitous ubiquitous array of voices? <laughs> yeah, I was kind of going for almost everyone, but yeah, I do, there are similar, like no one's very cool. Um, <laughs> that's my favorite type of person. Like, if you're not cool, I can't write about. You. If you're yeah. if you're cool, I can't write about you. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, there is. I tried to go for for almost everyone, um, and that was that was a bit full on because there's like a hundred different characters, mm. and and how do you tell tell a um, story about them and what's going on with them? Um, but only through what they would have written into Google. So uh, that was pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, so good. Um, I get, I'll, maybe I'll um, read out a couple of the um, titles of these vignettes just to give listeners a sense of, of what we're talking about. Um, yeah, some examples sure. are, um, even in my dreams, I don't achieve what I want. Facts, whales, warmest regards or rega- regards, designer on Netflix, nice hair, um, how to encourage your son even though he isn't talented. <laughs> um, they're some of my favourites. And something that I love about the book is it's such a great range from the trivial and menial to the existential and profound, and they're often tied up with each other. Um, yeah, did you, did you sometimes find yourself starting with um, particular search engine ideas and then sort of fleshing out the character from there or what was the sort of start point these vignettes yeah uh a bit of both but mostly I would have an idea of someone and what they were going through and then that was the starting point was like well what are they what are, what is their struggle what is their crisis mm-hmm. and how would they say it and yeah it is often really interwoven with like big stuff like oh my god my brother is dying and then like pizza hut near me and (laughs) I think (laughs) I think that was kind I really had fun with that because that is so often with your search histories is it's such an abrupt um different change of direction um and I really liked that because I never want to show anyone just as sad or just as funny I think so much of being human is the where that meets um yeah so I thought oh I can do it through that yeah yeah I thought it was so cleverly done um did, oh my gosh thank you <laughs> oh, of course um did writing the book did you find it that informed your own search habits or 
how did your own relationship to the internet change or become affected while you're writing this work? Oh, wow. Um, well, I'm actually, ironically, like a technophobe. I'm so bad <laughs> with, with the internet. Like, I'm not on socials. I'm, like, terrible at it, all that stuff. So my, I don't think my search histories has really changed too much other than, like, is, what is the symptom and am I dying? Yeah, um, yeah can really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Um, but I think just with my kind of idea of what the internet means to people, that it's mm. kind of, it can be this catharsis, it can be like... Um, like a guide but it's almost now like a, a diary I think mm, um totally. as well like this work yeah uh, like it's quite salacious like that like it's the idea of reading what someone is actually about what they're actually thinking so yeah I kind of that kind of switched like seeing the internet as um yeah more than mm. symptoms about my leg and <laughs> like how people are searching constantly yes. for yeah. meaning yeah, I can really, I can really feel that. Were you, um, were you googling at all what people are googling? Did you kind of conduct much research about Google as a search engine and people's habits? Yeah, I, I did look up like what are people googling the most in this year, or like pop culture stuff, like who was the most googled, or this sort of stuff. Um, and I can't, I can't remember what it was, but I think I think there was some stuff to do with like cost of living crisis and rebates mm. and things. But then I think some were just like pretty dumb stuff, and that was my that was yeah the best. <laughs> yeah, can you can you think of um, some most other most searched things from like the last few last few years, or was anything that really surprised you? Um. Not really. I like there was some like of who am I type stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't think it really surprised me too much. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there was a good combo of existential stuff and just like silly stuff. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Did you um, were your friends sort of aware that you're writing this sort of book? Like, did you talk to um, friends about their own internet? and search, Google search habits? Like, was, what, did you have any conversations with people about it? No, not really, actually. Mm. Like, um, I'm kind of like, uh, yeah, yeah, I didn't. I just kind of went from ma- mainly, like, people I was really interested in, mm-hmm. whether or not they were my friends, and kind of thinking about who they were and what they, what they would be struggling with and what they would search. Um, yeah, so it was more kind of just conducting a bit of self-observation. <laughs> totally. mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'd love to hear about your background as a writer. Can you tell us a bit about um, sort of writing works that you've done before this and, yeah, just how you got into writing in the first place? Yeah. Um, so I started, I went to, I studied film and tally. Mm-hmm. And so had um, like a decade of writing independent um, films and stuff and we had some good times with festivals and awards and things like that. And I was writing like a lot of um, dramedies mm-hmm. and I loved that. And But I, I kind of wanted to lean more towards like comedy and tragedy and, and just ditch the drama mm-hmm. stuff. And so I was always, I've always been writing and then um, 
Yeah, I just kind of progressed more into fiction and it just being me and um, mm-hmm. the laptop. And, yeah, that felt... I feel more comfortable here. Um, although we did just we did just write and have a comedy thing. We have it's on Channel Nine at the moment called awesome. um, One Room Reno. Yeah, about about alien girl bosses, and that's all comedy, and that was really cool um, to write just comedy. Yeah, but um, I'm really liking where I'm at now. Like now feels like kind of I've had a turning point. And I feel really concrete in what I want to write about now and, like, my style and voice as a writer. So, Oh, it's so good. So, it's yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Yes. Um, so how did, how did this book sort of come to be published? It's, 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 is it about to come out? Is it, it's coming out in January. I wasn't quite sure. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, how yeah, did I think there are? Oh, sorry. Oh no! Sorry. Sorry. Oh my gosh! Sorry. <laughs> uh, so it's yeah, it's coming out through Vagabond Press, who are an awesome sort of local yeah. publisher. How did that um, yeah. relationship sort of come out? Uh, yeah, so I I applied um, with the manuscript and um, Michael Brennan, who is just like oh my god. Like such a legend. So good. <laughs> yes. Oh my Michael gosh. Rules, works yeah. so tirelessly. Yes, he does rule. Such a such a legend, and, um, and yeah, and just kind of was like, yeah, I'm interested, and this is the process, and da 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 da, mm. and um, it it went from there. But it really lucky to be published with him because the whole process, you're really um, nurtured, and he really champions um, writers. So. So that's been really cool. Oh, beautiful. Is there a launch happening or are you, how are you going to celebrate the release? Oh, I think just sitting in my shed having <laughs> a, drink, a drink and a cry. <laughs> that's a beautiful um, image, also, yeah. Well, I'm here right now. When um, when Michael actually emailed to say they've been published, I picked up the shed keys and I just very quietly walked out. And when I came back, um, I, when I came back, my partner was like, "You've been gone a long time. Were you putting something in there, or were you staring at a wall?" And I was like, "Wall, <laughs> just wall just staring, wall. intense wall staring." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Um, so you're not yeah, oh not God. looking to have a launch or not looking to celebrate with um I don't know with, with Michael Vagabond or the other because there's a bunch of other authors who are also yeah. releasing books at the same time, isn't there? Yes, that's right, and they all look so so cool. They do um, look cool. Yeah, so I, yeah, they do. Yeah, so I think there will be a launch. I think details are to come. So that will be really cool i'll practice socializing in my shed first and yeah. then i'll go do it in the yeah just a little warm-up a couple of days warming <laughs> yeah. up in the shed and you'll be, you'll be good to go yeah. yeah that's right practice my handshake yep yeah just that, that eye contact it's, it's gonna be good yeah um i really loved the the cover of this book as well if um how did wh- yeah where's that image where did that image come from if, for, for listeners tuning in um it's sort of two sort of alien creatures in the sort of desert landscape. It's very cool. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I really like that image that um, Michael picked that we landed on. Mm. And it kind of, I guess it is like it ties into the idea of searching and discovery and Mm. that sort of thing. Um, But also it relates to one of the stories and just kind of that person just needing to get off the planet. 
and hoping that there's life somewhere else for them. <laughs> yeah, awesome. No, I thought it I thought it matched the tone of the book so well. I was just yeah, interested oh, in where it came from. Yeah. If you're just yeah. tuning in, I'm talking to Caitlin Frudra about her new book, Search Histories. Um, will it be out in a lot of bookstores? Where can people pick up a copy? If they head to vagabondpress.net, uh, you mm-hmm. can order your pre-sale copy there. And I think they're coming out shortly. And you can also pick up all the other books as well that have just come out. And then stay tuned for where else it will be in bookstores, hopefully. Yeah, cool. I think there's about nine books coming out sort of as a package. So that would be um, yeah, a beautiful way to support local writers and um, such a great publisher as well. So definitely go check out the Vagabond website. Um, Caitlin, I'd love to hear uh, you do a bit of a reading from the book, if you're willing. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. Um, So I've picked a few. Um, Okay, so this first one. Um, Afterpay join, buy a cool leather jacket size M. Do chicks like dudes in leather jackets? Cancel order ASOS. What did she mean by feeling insecure in my masculinity? Stop feeling insecure in my masculinity, Reddit. What weight should I start lifting, KG, beginner? How can I get muscles, no weight? Small man syndrome, even if you're tall. Should I just embrace the leather jacket, but for me? How to accept yourself, even though your dad never loved you? (laughs) So that's a bit of a biography, that one. (laughs) So good. I love it. Um, did you want, I've got a few, yep. few more, Take, yep. whatever. I'd love you to keep yep. going. That'd be awesome. Okay, cool. Um, is there a cure for leukemia? How can there be a God if my brother is so sick? Should I tell my brother it will be, all be okay? Pizza hut. <laughs> um, another one. Why am I so depressed? DIY colorful pom-poms. Um, <laughs> so some of them are only a couple of lines long as well. Um, didn't feel anything when I met my son. Didn't feel anything when I first met my estranged adult son. DNA kit order. Is Jeremy Renner okay? Jeremy Renner leg. Is Jeremy Renner dead? Son won't answer my phone calls. Um, and then I've got another one, or are you good? No, one more. Let's, let's, yeah, let's wrap it up with one more. Yeah. Love to. Okay. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh, my gosh, no worries. Um, Bunning Buddha's large garden statue. YouTube Blondie Greatest Hits, Higher Skip, Jim's Mowing Tall Grass, Mold Between Grout, Should I Wear a Mask Cleaning Black Mold, Rose Gold Engagement Theme, Mother of the Bride Dress, Ideas Not Your Usual Mother, Facebook, Custom Neon Light Because Love, Kmart Party Goods, Rose Gold, Restraining Order, Ex-Husband. Oh, it's, that's such a good direction that one, that one went in. I remember reading that one being like, oh, this is so smart. I love it. So yeah. Oh, no, my gosh. I love that character. I, yeah, she's grouse. I love that character as well. <laughs> yeah. um, if you're just tuning in, um, I'm speaking to Caitlin Frugia, who just ha- is releasing her debut collection called Search Histories out with Vagabond Press. Um, thank you so much for chatting to me today, Caitlin, and congratulations. Hope you're feeling really good about it and um, I can't wait to hold a physical copy in my hands oh my goodness thank you so much feeling good here in my shed so (laughs) that could be a search a search like in itself feeling good in my shed why (laughs) something yeah yes totally oh gosh Um, well thank you so much no thank you Caitlin congratulations and I'll, I'll see you soon see you out there
Trifola. Um, so lovely to have been in your company today. Jackie will be taking over Summer Literati Glitterati from next week. Thank you so much to Panda Wong and Caitlin Faruja for wonderful conversations today. Thank you for joining me. Hope you have a beautiful afternoon. I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Literati Glitterati, a weekly book show that loves a good story well told. Literati Glitterati is broadcast live on Triple R each Wednesday from midday to 1pm. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and please feel free to keep in touch at rrr.org.au.